Good morning and welcome to our service today. We will of course be thinking about the recent death of Queen Elizabeth II. Let's pray. We meet in the name of Jesus Christ, who died and was raised to the glory of God the Father. Grace and mercy be with you. Today we will especially remember before God Her Late Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, to give thanks for her life and to comfort one another in our grief. Our grief, of course, is softened by the fact that we know that she was someone who trusted in Christ and is now with him in glory. When she was asked a few years ago to pick her 10 favorite songs, two amongst them were great hymns. And we're going to begin with one of them today. Praise my soul, the King of heaven.
prayer of thanks. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, by whom kings and queens reign and princes decree justice, we remember before you our late sovereign, Queen Elizabeth, in thankfulness for the blessings which you have bestowed upon us by her reign, for the example she set of unwearied devotion to duty, for her steadfast courage and for the love and loyalty borne to her by a great family of peoples in all parts of the world. And we pray that you will give us grace that remembering these mercies we may with one heart and one mind set forward the welfare of this land and hasten the coming of your kingdom of peace and goodwill among men through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's hear our first reading from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, i found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We listen to and hopefully join in with now another of the Queen's favourite hymns which reflects that reading, The Lord is my shepherd. Each one of us is, as the Queen was, like those one sheep that God sought out and brought back. The Lord is my shepherd.
What are your memories of the Queen? What are your reflections? I was um, two years old when she was anointed Queen uh, in 1953. I don't really remember it, but I've got either a, a vague memory or possibly a false memory from stories I've heard that our family bought the first television in the street <laughs> and we filled the room with people who wanted to watch the coronation live on a screen which actually is about the size of a modern day laptop screen imagine quite a, a large room with possibly 20 or 30 people crammed into it trying to watch those flickering visions on a 12 inch screen I did read one story which I enjoyed uh, in the tributes that have been paid and I'll just share that with you now. Queen Elizabeth was out in the hills near her Scottish castle in Balmoral when two American tourists on a walking holiday approached and one of them engaged her in conversation. This is a story told by her former Royal Protection Officer Richard Griffin known as Dick. The hiker asked the Queen where she lived so she said London adding that she had a holiday home just over the hill and had been visiting the area for more than 80 years since she was a little girl. She didn't say she was referring to Balmoral slightly more than a holiday home not exactly a timeshare. Aware that the castle was in the vicinity the hiker asked her if she'd ever met the Queen quick as a flash she said I haven't but Dick here meets her regularly the hiker then asked Griffin what the monarch was like in person this is what he said because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull her leg I said oh she can be very cantankerous at times but she's got a lovely sense of humor delighted the hiker then put his arm around Griffin's shoulder and asked if he could have a picture of the two of them together before I could see what was happening, he got his camera and gave it to the Queen and said, Can you take a picture of us? The Queen obliged. Then Griffin took the camera and took a picture of her with the pair of hikers. Later, Griffin said the Queen told him, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to friends in America and hopefully someone tells him who I am. Great stories, a woman with a great sense of humour as well as a great sense of duty. Somebody said that it was her sense of humour and her faith in Christ which were the two things that made her life uh, kind of sufferable within all the duties that she had and in all the difficulties that she faced. Let me just pause a moment and let you think of your own recollections of the Queen.
we're going to listen to our second reading from the book of Ecclesiastes and then we're going to sing speak O Lord as we ask God to share his word with us today Ecclesiastes chapter 3 There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth planted deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Thank you. 
everybody knows the famous story of how Elizabeth went up a tree a princess and came down a queen she was spending the night in treetops in Kenya um, James Corbett's National Park and the news of the death of her father came during the night she made her first public broadcast from Cape Town I declare before you all that my whole life whether it be long or short shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to whom we all belong God help me to make good my vow and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it I think it's pretty universally accepted that this is a vow that she kept in a stellar way. She added this, Pray for me, that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making, and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. This prayer immediately reminded me of Solomon you know the story of how Solomon became so wise when he became king God appeared to him and said what would you like me to do for you and Solomon didn't ask for riches and power and fame and all the other things he just said Lord how can I possibly be king over this great people 
I ask you for wisdom. God said, because of what you asked for, I will give you wisdom and I will give you all the things you didn't ask for. Solomon, of course, became known as one of the richest and most powerful kings of the era. There's a famous story which immediately appears after that, which illustrates that wisdom where the two women are arguing over which child, uh, which one of them a child belongs to. And Solomon simply says, well, cut the child in half and give half to each woman. A very clever answer because, of course, the real mother said, no, give him to the other one. She didn't want her child to die. A great illustration uh, of, a, of a wise response. We were on holiday in Wales recently and we've been listening, my wife and I, to the Bible in one year, read by um, David Suchet and commented on by Nicky Gumbel, the founder of the Alpha Courses. And we read a lot about Solomon, including reading the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's kind of stuck with me over the last few weeks. You may know that there are three books in the Bible, three books in the Old Testament, which are completely or mainly attributed to Solomon. And two of them, at least, are books that we very seldom read in our services. I actually looked it up. The Song of Solomon, a wonderful love story, uh, which is an allegory of the love of Christ for the church. We read one passage twice over the three years. Ecclesiastes, one passage is read, most probably the passage that we've just had read. That's the famous one. And even the book of Proverbs, seven passages read over the whole of the three years. Now I know there's a lot in the Bible and the people who make up the lectionary have to make judgments, but it seems to me that this is a fairly small amount for someone who is reputed as being the wisest person who ever lived. Here's what it says in First Kings chapter 4. God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment and breadth of understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He composed 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. People came from all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon. They came from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Many of these wise sayings are written down in the book of Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes and they're still hugely applicable today as we'll see in a few minutes. It's said that Billy Graham would read a chapter of Proverbs every day. Billy Graham of course was called to Buckingham Palace to meet the Queen. They were both people of great faith who served God in vastly different ways. It would have been great to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, wouldn't it? We need wisdom in these days. Jesus said that his disciples must be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Paul says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. And just like Solomon, and just like Queen Elizabeth, we can ask God 
for wisdom. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given you. But ask in faith, never doubting. The Queen's needed all the wisdom God could give her during more than 60 years as a monarch. She has advised 15 prime ministers and lived through multiple political crises. She's seen the face of Britain transformed beyond all imagination. On a personal level, she's seen the marriages of three of her four children break down, all within the same year, what she called her uh, Annus Horribilis. She's dealt with scandals and tragedies, all the while striving to maintain the dignity of the monarchy. Solomon held things together throughout his lifetime. Although even he, wise as he was, was led away from God through the many foreign wives he married. But after his death, everything fell apart and the kingdom split in two, a division that was never really held, uh, never really healed. Hopefully Charles will be more level-headed as he takes up his duties. So Solomon, possessed of wisdom and knowledge beyond anyone who lived, amassing riches beyond imagination, indulging himself in every pleasure with hundreds of wives and concubines, music musicians and servants, houses and gardens, Solomon looked upon it all and wrote his conclusions in two books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We're going to look very briefly at the book of Ecclesiastes. I want you to get a flavour of the wisdom and depth it contains and hopefully be encouraged to read it for yourselves. Ecclesiastes is Solomon's verdict on life. This is Solomon, the world-weary philosopher. I've read some philosophy down the years and from what I can see, this book is bang up to date in its thinking. Without God, Solomon is saying, our whole existence is meaningless. Here are his opening words. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word vanity has more meaning than, than we typically give it. The Amplified Bible says this futile, meaningless, a wisp of smoke, a vapour that man vanishes, merely chasing the wind. The message translation puts it like this, smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything, it's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up and the sun goes down, then does it again and again, the same old round. Solomon describes how from his privileged position he's explored every aspect of life and found it to be meaningless. This is what he says, I the teacher when king over Israel and Jerusalem applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I remember hearing about somebody who said that whenever he was depressed, 
he used to read the book of Ecclesiastes. And somebody said to him in amazement, you read the book of Ecclesiastes when you're depressed. Why? Well, he replied, I might be depressed, but I'm never that depressed. Solomon tried wisdom and knowledge, studying and learning. In his conclusion, in much wisdom is much vexation and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. He tried hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure. I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. Literally, wine, women and song. Plus houses, gardens, vineyards, herds and flocks, silver and gold. Then I considered, he says, all that my hands had done and all the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and the chasing after wind. Two specific aspects of life attracted his attention and this is where it's bang up to date. First of all, the mania for money. He talks a lot about how people toil to amass riches, but they are in the end futile. You lose your life while you're toiling and you can't take them with you. And yet somehow we are never satisfied with what we have. All human toil is for the mouth, yet the appetite is not satisfied. This has a very modern ring to me. People seem obsessed today with fame, beauty and riches. All of marketing is based on the need to make people dissatisfied and want more. And then the injustice in the world. I saw all the oppressions that are practiced under the sun. Look, the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. Isn't this something we all struggle with, even as believers? He realizes that however much we give ourselves to learning and seeking wisdom, and he certainly did, there's so much that's outside our grasp. Here's what he says, all this I have tested my wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is, is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? You need to read the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes really to get the sense of what he's saying. And it's not all bad. There are sections of good advice and encouragements to make the most of what we have day by day. He learns that since we can't control what happens in life, our best approach is to enjoy what we have while we have it. Go, eat your bread with enjoyment and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has long ago approved what you do. He doesn't specifically mention racehorses, which was the Queen's passion, but he did actually share that passion. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. I guess the queen had quite a lot of horses, but if she'd had 12,000, she could have run the whole racing calendar herself out of her own stables. We read earlier the very famous section from this book, to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven birth, death, love, hate, keeping hold, letting go. Accept whatever comes your way, he says, because that is what life is like. 
Ah, but our queen knew something that Solomon didn't know. Solomon is writing all this from a particular perspective. The key phrase is under the sun, down on earth, not looking beyond. The only God in this book is a distant, unknowable figure who leaves us humans to blindly feel their way to some kind of meaning and joy in life. The best conclusion he can come to in the closing verses is this, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone, for God will bring every deed into judgment. But from where we are, we can go much further. We know a God who through Jesus has entered into this apparently meaningless life and has taught us and shown us where meaning lies. In his great prayer the night before his death, Jesus prays that all his followers to the end of time will transcend the limits of earth and will be connected to God himself. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The door is opened that we may come to know God. This is a knowledge and assurance that the Queen certainly had. On the 3rd of August, just gone, only six weeks before she died, she said this, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide and in them I find hope. So what does this mean for us? Well it doesn't mean that all the questions that Solomon raises are easily answered. We'll still struggle to understand why bad things happen to good people, why there are disasters, wars and famines, why people rage against one another and why relationships break down in bitterness with not even the royal family immune. Ecclesiastes alongside Solomon's other great book of Proverbs is full of wisdom about many of these things. But in the end, the only answer we will find in this world is a deepening understanding of the character of God. That was the basis of the hope that Queen Elizabeth spoke about, and it's a firm basis for our hope. Way back in Genesis, God revealed to Abraham that he was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their excessive wickedness. And Abraham pleaded with God to save them and you may remember he, he bargained in a very eastern sort of way well if there are 50 people who are righteous will you spare the city well what about 40 well 30 in the end he used a very telling phrase shall not the judge of the earth do right that's a phrase that often comes back to me when I'm puzzling over things that are happening. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? The more we come to know the judge of the earth, the more we'll be sure that the answer to that is yes, God will do what is right. May we share the faith and the hope 
that Queen Elizabeth so steadfastly demonstrated through all of her life.
a benediction. God grant to the living grace, to the departed rest, to the church, the king, the commonwealth and all humankind, peace and concord. And to us and all his servants, life everlasting. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon us and remain with us always. Amen. <laughs>